Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 84. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Here in our last episode of 2016, we have a fascinating company. Dee Chaubet is the CEO and founder of Moneylion. Now, they are very different to, to many of the companies in the space because they're not just a consumer lender. They have basically a personal finance app. That's sort of the core of their offerings. Now, they, they monetize it through the loans, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but they're, they're very different to most of the other companies in the industry. And I've been wanting to get them on the show because you know, they've just successfully done close some pretty large funding rounds. And, you know, they've sort of been, you know, I wouldn't say uh, lying low, but they haven't made a big splash. And I think you're going to see, you're going to start hearing from them more and more. Uh, and particularly, I think in 2017, you're going to hear the Moneylion name a lot. But in the, in the episode, we talk a lot about the app. We talk about the different offerings they have. We talk about their, their target customer, you know, the kinds of loans they're making, talk about the funding environment uh, today and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Dee. Thank you, Peter. So let's just uh, kick things off by uh, giving the listeners you know, a little bit of background about yourself, and particularly about what you did before you started Moneyline. Absolutely. Firstly, thanks for having me on the podcast, and thank you for playing an important role by facilitating this forum. I sure. really appreciate that. My pleasure. So prior to starting Moneyline, I spent 12 years in the uh, investment banking and proprietary investing industries at places like Goldman Sachs, Citadel Investment Group, and Barclays. And throughout all of those jobs, the one common thread was having a front row seat to the evolution of many different types of consumer finance business models, not only here in the United States, but also globally in the United Kingdom, in Asia, and in some of the emerging markets. And so as a recovering investment banker, I was always fascinated and interested in the power of delivering powerful financial tools to broader market with the help of advancements in parallel processing technologies that were at that point commonly termed as big data and machine learning. Mm -hmm. And that's really my background for a good amount of time before I started Moneyline. So then what was it about that background? I mean, what, well, guess what was the kind of trigger that caused you to say, you know what, I need to take the plunge here and start this company? Sure. So, you know, when we started Moneyline, we were just coming out of one of the biggest recessions that the world had ever seen. There was a little bit of overcorrection, if you will, from the response of governments in re reacting to the credit crisis. Uh, so Dodd-Frank and Basel III were put in place, uh, and that put a lot of capital constraints, as you know very well, on a bank's ability to have conversations with consumers. Uh, at the same time, we were also seeing that with the help of social media, with the help of uh, the proliferation of mobile technologies, consumers were getting very well educated and very comfortable with transacting online. So I was always fascinated with this evolution of the technical side, which was using hundreds, and th hundreds of computers in the cloud to access multiple data sets all at the same time to make credit evaluations in, in literally nanoseconds. I was also, as um, given my role as an investment banker, I had the ability to see that most of the industry here in the United States hadn't adopted some of those advancements in technology. And for the most part, the industry was still really 
offline and burdened with a lot of manual processes that weren't helpful to, to consumers. So I was always fascinated with this idea of having an electronic exchange of data and the concept of using data as currency in online transactions. Why not empower the borrower to share more data in a real-time environment where lenders get more comfortable with making a more real-time credit decision instead of having to really rely on manual verifications, back office processes, et cetera, et cetera. So it was effectively scaling the concept that consumers were already getting used to. So the first genesis of Moneyline was really born out of that idea of creating a data exchange between a borrower and a lender, which ultimately would benefit both parties. The borrower would get lower rates on credit products more quickly than they would offline, and the lender would benefit by lower principal default rates. Okay, so let's just dig into there a little bit. I mean, when did you actually launch? We launched a Moneyline in early 2014. Okay. Okay. So then, and did you launch just with the consumer loan product? Why don't you explain exactly what you guys do and then and what you launched with and how it's evolved? So our DNA has always been in uh, data analytics. So our first foray into consumer finance was through our decision services platform, where we were actually providing decisioning on identity and verification to other non-bank lenders. And then ultimately, in early 2014, we actually pivoted to being a lender ourselves with the use of a lot of those algorithms that we found were more predictive in in the short and medium term lending environments than what we otherwise found from data sources in the industry at that point. So today, Moneyline is a balance sheet, direct-to-consumer, alternative lender that uses what we think is a proprietary personal financial management application that consumers interact with. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I sometimes describe your company as like a cross between Mint and Lending Club. Do you think that's a, that's a fair way to describe it? <laughs> Those are both very good companies or products. So I'll take that as a compliment. But uh, <laughs> our philosophy has always been to incentivize consumers so that they constantly monitor their credit and financial profile. We've observed through data that consumers who use your personal financial management tools categorically make better borrowers and you know, default less and pay off more in time and engage in good financial habits. So to a large portion of our customer base, we provide just powerful insights on making better financial decisions. That's our value proposition to our customer base, that download our app, link one, two, or three of your financial accounts. They could be bank accounts, they could be credit card accounts, they could be investment accounts. They could be offline assets that you own, for instance, jewelry or watches or whatnot, and allow our algorithms to give you insights into, into how you save better, how you, how you make more money in the future. And through those engagement tools, we're then able to build a rapport with that customer and are then able to have multiple conversations on financial health and well-being with technology as the medium through notifications and through sort of the powerful engagement tools that exist in the market today on both web and mobile platforms, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately, and we've seen and shown this through data, drives a positive selection portfolio on the lending side. Okay. So then how, how long have you had the app? Has that been, was this part of the roadmap from day one? There, so what you see today in the, in, in the app has in multiple facets been available in more simpler forms since day one. So our first product was a data barter, like I said, where we actually allowed individuals on our network to get endorsements. So we're, you know, uh, there, there are a couple others who've tried it, but basically 
an endorsement on the Moneyline Financial Network ultimately reduces your interest rate by either giving you points or rewarding you in some other mechanism. So that concept of, okay, you know, if you get more of your network to really stand by you as, as from a commitment perspective, we'll give back some of that risk that you're defraying for us in the form of interest rate reductions. So that's always been around, and now it's actually been polished up a little bit more, and it manifests in our mobile app. Okay, so are you still? I mean, obviously, you've. I, I get and it's pretty. It's pretty clear when you know you've got you've got a mobile app. You've got you, you've got a deep insight into your mobile app users. Uh, much deeper insight than uh, than just a traditional lender would have. But but it sounds like you still you not only have that you're also doing this you also combine this with the the endorsement piece is that so is, is that true today? Yeah, I mean that, that, that's absolutely true today. So uh, we realized early on in our evolution that building a monoline online lending business that was only reliant on tran- on individual lending transactions didn't necessarily have we would we would always be playing the same game of customer acquisition. So what we have embedded into our mobile financial network, if you will, is the ability for consumers and families really to use our tools to have conversations around credit scores. So you can download the Moneyline app today and get your free credit score from TransUnion. We also have built a very powerful simulator. So you can actually go in and say, what happens if I pay off my oldest credit card? Uh, you'll see your credit score go up usually. Or you know, what happens if I don't pay my Chase Sapphire card for 90 days? And you'll see that that has a massively negative impact on your credit score. And you can do this in a community environment where you can actually go and share that with your spouse. You can share that with your parents or your kids. And we see our customer base actually doing that as it relates to family finances. So that level of insight, again, manifests through aggregated data. And we're then able to have conversations beyond just credit score. But ultimately, the reliance on financial management allows us to then, and in a data-rich environment, really allows us to empathize with the balance sheet of our users. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. So then who – you're funny because you do have a very different business, I think, because you're like, – it sounds like to me that you're really – what you really want people to do – is to download your app. That's sort of, I mean, I know you, 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 know, you obviously want to, you want to monetize them, but it sounds like that's sort of, is, is that your primary acquisition target? I mean, so who is the primary customer and how, is it, is it just someone who, who you want to download your app? Yeah, so our typical customer today is someone who's very conscious of access to credit of their credit score, of implications of certain transactions on their ability to afford an auto loan, their mortgage, or just general financial well-being. And that, you know, it's it's not it's not going to be a very specific answer, mm-hmm. but because because our customer base today is very broad. So our, they happen to have anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of household income. Our customer base usually ranges from an average a median age of thirty to forty five. So it's a very broad swath. It's probably the middle 75% of the American consumer, adult consumer segment is really our is our target audience. If you think about some of the folks that go just solely for the super prime or the prime plus segments, we're not that. You know, we're targeting the lower prime and the near prime segments significantly mm-hmm. our products. Right. Right, sure. So, so then, how how are you monetizing these customers? I mean, obviously, you you know, I get I get it when you're taking a loan, but are you also 
Are you also doing what Mint does and referring them on? I mean, I think I, I was I was digging around your website over the weekend and you know, I noticed you got a bunch of you know, credit card, and, you know, different people rating credit cards and all sorts of different things there. Do you monetize it outside of just the loan product? Absolutely. So the personal loan is but one of many conversations we today have with our user base and want to have in the future. Ultimately, you know, I, I tell this to my team and to our investors that ultimately anyone with a bank account and a mobile app should download the Moneyline app. And we want Moneyline to be thought of as a hub for multiple financial products. You know, one of the trends that we've seen consumers really adopt over the course of 2016 is this concept of rebundling the bank. And I think that's really one of the trends that we're, we're, we're seeing anyway is that digitally native platforms will transform banking as we know it by replacing traditional banks as a core hub for money management. Mm-hmm. So Moneyline we think is that core hub for money management. And you'll see in 2017 that we'll be releasing very exciting partnerships. We already have a lot of them in place, but even more, which includes banks, non-bank financial companies, as well as insurance companies to provide frictionless access to financial products just in time for when consumers face that liability or balance sheet shock. Because of the fact that over 300,000 users have trusted us by linking their bank accounts to us, we're then able to use that data on an aggregate basis to really make recommendations that, hey, Peter, you know, you've spent $10,000 more than you usually do. You may have a liability in 17 days. Consider taking proactive steps to avoid that today. And to do that very effectively, the, the tools to get out of that financial cliff are oftentimes not a personal loan. They could be an insurance product or they could be a refinance product or they could be just be another credit card. So to do to manifest that in a frictionless process, we've got a very uh, strong partnership team who's already in the middle of you know very exciting partnerships with other financial institutions. Mm-hmm. And that's really the monetization path in the future. Right. So you know, I guess consumer loans is really just going to be one of many you know, ways you monetize, sounds like. So then do you today, are you – like the loans that you're put that you've run through your platform, has that all come from people using your app, or is that is it sort of a, a mix of you go out you try and acquire customers the, the way everybody else does as well, or are you is it purely through the app? Sure. So the PFM app channel is clearly the leader of all of our origination and acquisition channels today. There's a significant word of mouth and referral program through our endorsements channel as well. But in, in addition to those two channels, which make up a bulk of our new customer acquisition, we have expertise in all forms of digital marketing as well as offline marketing, including direct mail that we engage in. Okay. Okay. But it sounds like as, if, as your app gets, gets more and more popular and it sounds like that's you can get a, you know, obviously your cost of your cost of acquisition. I mean, your direct cost of acquisition is close to zero when it's coming through your own through your own app. So I imagine you're very very focused on on trying to build that up. But, Absolutely. Yeah. I but, mean, it has a multiplier effect, and ultimately, if you you know if you if you one of the questions that investors ask us is you know why spend our resources on building out the PFM tools, and we've spent a significant amount of equity dollars yeah, and sure. profits from our consumer portfolio into building that capability out. And what we've realized is that ultimately for our platform to be successful and for us to continue to attract investors, uh, we need to show that there is a customer lifetime value beyond that first loan transaction. And having that PFM app allows us to do that. Sure. So then can you give listeners a little bit of a understanding of, you know, you've, you've talked about you're in sort of the mid-prime 
area. What is the typical loan terms? I mean, what's the size, the duration, that kind of thing? Sure. Our, so just like our user base, our, the attributes of our personal loans are also very broad. So we can write as low as a $500 loan. Um, and we can go all the way up to a $35,000 loan. And the terms, again, are flexible, whereas most lenders will focus on just three to five-year terms. We can structure the loan based on what we understand about the consumer's balance sheet as low as nine months to as, as, as high as 60 months. So again, very broad ranges in both term and maturity, and sorry, uh, size and maturity. And, and what about rates? I mean, what, what, how do you, what, what's the range on interest rates? So our Near prime products can range anywhere from 7% to 30%. And then we also have a above 36% product where we're individually licensed in about 25 states. Right. Okay. Okay. Then, so can you just tell us a little bit how you approach underwriting? Clearly, you've, as I said, you've got this treasure trove of data that few other or virtually no other companies um, have on, on their, on their customers. But you also have customers, you see, if you're acquiring them through direct mail, then you're not going to have, you know, as, as much of rich data. So can you just talk us through, you know, how, like, it, it sounds like to me, you must sort of have like multiple, you know, underwriting models because you've got one for your for the companies where you have rich data and one for, you know, and, and you've got sort of the whole endorsement piece as well. And then you've got another one for those that are just acquiring through like the direct mail channel. Absolutely right. So we're very data-driven on the underwriting approach. And underwriting, as you know, is broken down into obviously a couple of different segments. One is obviously in an online environment. How do you mitigate fraud risk? Uh, so there's a lot of time we spend in interacting with multiple different data vendors on fraud data. So has this person just committed you know, cyber crime on Amazon or bestbuy.com Best and now is looking for a $5,000 installment loan? Or has this person gone on to a lot of our peers' websites and in, the, in sort of the moment of time where the credit bureaus aren't able to track it, stacked two or three or four different loans? So we spend obviously a lot of machine learning effort on that segment. And then the other point that you made about channels is absolutely right. So we have different funnels for different channels. Uh, in certain channels, organic, where we have bank transaction data, that's obviously the richest data in terms of uh, verifying income and identity. And in channels where we're relying more on direct mail, that's, again, a channel where we then have to look to our bureau partners to make sure that in a compliant manner, we're able to uh, create the, the best propensity versus risk models. Um, and that's that's a generally uh, tried and tested methodology on the direct mail channel. And then on all the other channels, I think one of the things that we do slightly differently from the industry is we run a lot of data bureaus on almost every single loan application. So from a specifics perspective, we can spend anywhere from 40 to $75 in just data costs on every funded loan. Historically, what that's allowed us to do is capture and see a lot of trends in how seasonality affects loan volume, how different regions in America have different proclivities. I mean, now we're sitting on probably a data set that we act as our own bureau even before we go to the third parties. So that helps us scrub a lot of data costs at the top of the funnel. Okay. So then let's, I want to talk a bit about your, the fees. I mean, you, you I read on your website that you don't charge an origination fee on the loans. And so I presume you're, you know, the, the, the monetization that is, is on the interest rate spread. Can you talk a little bit about the, you know, why you decide not to charge origination fees and, and go just the spread route? 
So historically, we've been a balance sheet lender. So as such, we've been comfortable with the economics that accrue to us from our piece or our uh, portion of each loan. But in the future, as we diversify our funding mix, we're certainly contemplating changing the mix there where on some loans where it makes sense, we would charge some origination fees where appropriate. Okay. Okay. So when you said you're, you're a balance sheet lender right now, does that mean that you are contemplating uh, like a marketplace or are you, you know, are you, are you comfortable being a balance sheet lender for the foreseeable future? Right. So said another way, we're definitely exploring ways to provide accredited investors direct access to not whole loans, if you will, Peter, uh, more sort of pools of our loans. Mm-hmm. We create that diversification on a blind basis for the investor. Okay. Uh, so those are that would be our hybrid approach, if you will. It wouldn't be a direct marketplace where you could actually go and pick off seven seven different credits, but instead it would be more of a pooled SPV that writes notes right. uh, that accredited investors could buy uh, interests on. Okay. Okay. That's that, that's that's fascinating. So you is that product in development? Are you going? I mean, obviously you've just you just told it publicly, so it's not a complete <laughs> secret. But is there a timetable on that? So first quarter, we'll be piloting it with select high net worth individuals and family offices. And then hopefully, depending on um, how that how the demand is there, uh, we'll consider ramping that up over the course of the year. Okay. We'll certainly keep an eye out for that. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, you know, the news you've had in recent uh, weeks. You, you raised a, a large warehouse line as well as a series, a warehouse line from Macquarie Bank. And separately, it seems you raised a series A as well. So could you just tell us, I mean, in this environment, you know, what was that process like and how you're able to, to get those deals closed? Yeah, so it's definitely been an interesting year for fundraising, yeah. uh, but we're excited about our new equity and debt partners, both believe in our ability to acquire and retain customers. So we're excited about having them on board. But, you know, again, from uh, an investor's perspective and from a fundraising perspective, there's certainly been themes this year in terms of what resonates with investors. Uh, investors seem to be very focused on how platforms can achieve balance sheet scale, which is no surprise, as well as the always prescient question around access to proprietary channels to acquire customers. And overall, people who make an investment in this sector and the alternative lending sector globally want to make sure that they get a good return on equity in a finite period of time, which, you know, said another way, they want to make sure that they can monetize their investment Mm -hmm. either in the public markets or otherwise. And to show that, there's been a higher responsibility on the platform side to say, yes, we do have proprietary access to a customer base. And this goes back to you know, having a PFM channel, having a endorsements channel where uh, a meaningful portion of your customers are coming in for effectively a zero CAC. I mean, we'll have data costs. It's never free. And ultimately, investors are looking for, can this platform create positive selection in its portfolio? Or is it just reliant on traditional commoditized marketing channels where our larger peers in the market are uh, much more scaled to to win and it's hard to differentiate in that segment. So that's really been the challenge in terms of showing that through data that we as a platform have been able to deliver on those. Um, mm-hmm. So once we're able to show through data that our customer base is incredibly sticky, investors can begin to understand the power of that platform. Right. Right, that makes sense. So, so I guess you know, given the challenges in fundraising this year, is this, you know, was this a more difficult process than you expected? Was it, uh, you know, obviously you got it over the finish line, but um, 
was there, I mean, it seems like to me, for, I speak to others in the industry and it's just, it's been brutal for, for many companies, maybe those that don't have as much of a unique customer acquisition channels. But um, so I guess, was it, was it surprising how difficult it was or did you find it, you expected this? Yeah, so I, I would say that it was probably in the middle of the two extremes. It, it was certainly not an easy capital raise, but it's certainly, you know, with uh, with with sort of the right positioning, the right platform, the right strategy, investors are investors generally still believe in the secular thesis here that more of these types of transactions will go online. Uh, there is a clear rebundling of the bank where consumers want to go to one platform for multiple financial products. Consumers have already shown a willingness to share their very intimate balance sheet data with platforms for the right value proposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those themes, those themes are still resonating with with investors, and uh, I will I wouldn't be surprised at all if more platforms like ours or even other types of credit platforms continue to get funding. And I think over the last couple of months, that environment has certainly gotten better over the yeah. summer. Clearly, there were there was noise in the market from from the macroeconomic waves, but as we as we as we stare sort of a, a new administration here in the United States, folks will certainly start to have different views on how these platforms can scale. Yep. Yes. And speaking of scale, can you give us some idea? I mean, you mentioned your three hundred thousand users of your app, but can you give us some idea on the scale as far as your loan volume goes? Yeah, so just to just to reiterate, the, the number of users is significantly larger. The 300,000 number is users that have linked oh. a bank account to our PFM app. Okay. On scale, so I think you know, our my lawyers will get us get get in the way here. But being a a, pri, a privately held balance sheet lender at this time, the only comment I can make about that is limited to what we've publicly disclosed, and that's our warehouse capacity, which is at a total of six hundred fifty million dollars. Right, right, and presumably that's that's not that's not going to be used up over the next five years. It'll be used up, you know, in the shorter shorter time period than that. Let's just we can we can we can leave it there. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so then, uh, one, one thing that interests me is that you you know, I know you 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 office you have an office in New York, but you also have an office in San Francisco and Kuala Lumpur. So, can you just tell us a little bit about your company structure? Sure. So, you know, my historically, I've been in New York, so uh, it was it was naturally to have our headquarters in New York. Uh, and having three offices in three cities has allowed us to be nimble. For example, a simple thing like like staffing our online chat for 24/7 is made available because we have uh, an office in Kuala Lumpur, and we access two distinct pools of talent from finance heavy folks, finance and accounting heavy folks in New York to marketing and data science heavy folks in San Francisco. So those three offices, we actually have a fourth one in Salt Lake City where we do loan processing and customer service, allows us to keep a low expense base and gives us access to a very diversified pool of talent. Right. Okay. Fascinating. So then what then what are you guys uh, what are you guys working on? Like what's what are in your plans for 2017? Sure. So 2017, you know, the, the first and foremost, we want to make sure that we keep an eye out on the dynamic regulatory climate in the United States, which, you know, with sort of uh, the new administration coming in, we, we, we don't fully yet know what that looks like. So um, 2017 will basically be understanding that and recalibrating if necessary for any changes there. But from a product perspective, uh, we continue to build significant capabilities in our mobile app, whether it's through more in-time notifications, whether it's partnerships with 
various types of banks or financial institutions to provide frictionless products that go beyond a loan. But ultimately, we want to grow the user base and we want to show through data that customers are coming to us for not just a loan, but for other financial products. And if they do need a loan a second time, we're also able to show a, an increasing percentage of our portfolio that's all ready to, co- to customers that we've interacted with before. Okay. Well, on that note, I think you've got a fascinating company here, Dee, and I really you, appreciate you coming on the show. Excellent. Thank you, Peter. Okay. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. So there are two things here that I, I really like about Money Lion, and both of the things we touched on. But the first is that the access to a really unique customer acquisition channel. If you're if you're running a company today, you you can't just be a me too player. You've got to have an acquisition channel that you can really attract customers in a cheaper way than your competitors. And I think that's what Moneyline has done. So that's the one piece. I think the other piece, and I think this is even potentially a bigger play, and that is you're providing something other than a loan. If you're a, if you're just a consumer lender and you you, know, you have a successful business, that's great. You're making loans. But what how do you keep those customers coming back? How do you uh, keep them engaged? I know Prosper spent a whole bunch of money on a personal finance app, you know, eighteen months ago, and you know, there's clearly value in having access to the customer through a positive relationship, through something that happens on a daily basis. Not only that, I also think you know what what Moneyline's doing. As I said, I've played around with the app. I love the fact that they're really helping to educate the customer. They're trying to make their their customers uh, trying to help their customers make better decisions, and that is something that I think uh, everyone should aspire to. And, and Moneyline are clearly delivering that. Anyway, on that note, a couple of announcements. This is our last podcast of 2016. Would love you to go to iTunes or Stitcher if you haven't already and leave a review. It's how more people can get, can discover the show. And lastly, I want to just say we have our Lended Conference coming up here in March of uh, 2017. I'll just give that a quick plug. Go to Lendit.com. You can find out all about that. It's going to be the biggest event ever in the history of our industry. So on that note, I'll sign off. All the very best for the holiday season. Have a safe and happy time, and I will see you back here in 2017. Bye.